Good morning. Will you guys stand up with us and join us? Lift your eyes, lift your eyes to the one who's reigning over us. He has overcome. Fill the skies, fill the skies with the song. As heaven sings along to glorify the sun. God. 
Amen. Welcome. We are glad you guys are here with us and just want to invite you to enter in and to sing with us and let's proclaim the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Everything to me. 
have the ushers come forward, and uh, we're going to take our offering. Um, I, I want to just read something as we prepare for this in our hearts this morning. And, and uh, today's message um, is from Matthew chapter 7, and, and Jesus says, Many who call me Lord, Lord, uh, even though they do so, they will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And, and that's a confusing statement if, if we're calling him Lord, right? That, but, but we call... God, Lord, often in our own hearts, and we don't really mean it. And so this morning, as we, as we, um, as we take our offering, I want to encourage us and challenge us with this verse from Hosea. Chapter 6, verse 6, he says, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. And that doesn't just mean I know about God. It means I know God. And we don't know God unless we continue in Christ and, and uh, gain the understanding of our Heavenly Father through the Holy Spirit. And so this morning as we, as we give our offerings, we can do it in, in many ways. We say, Lord, Lord, but really are we matching that with our hearts? And so as we give, I pray that it's only out of that that we truly say, Lord, Lord. And if we can't do that, then don't do that. Let this song that we're singing, that, that it would be pleasing to your heart, O oh God, that you would take this offering that you would make it everything. It's not about money. It's not about uh, turning that into something that's pleasing to God. It's, it's, it's not the sacrifice. It's the heart. It's the steadfast love. The NASB says, uh, for steadfast love, it says loyalty. That we continue in our faith. That we continue daily out our walk with God. John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3 is scolding the Pharisees. And he says, he says, uh, 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 Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. As we give our offering this morning, as we sing praise to God, are you doing that in keeping with repentance? Or is it just a Sunday morning where you come and, you, and, and we're really trying to be, Lord, to buy back the grace of God? We can't do that. Jesus gave it freely to all who would come to him and surrender and humble themselves and give their lives to him. Amen. So, God, we praise you, and, Lord, we do declare you Lord of our lives. We do declare you uh, king of our hearts. And, God, I pray that as we give, that that would be the attitude that we give in. And if we can't, that we would simply just um, hear your truth, that we, would, that we would come to you in repentance first, that we would come to you and, uh, and God, uh, surrender our hearts. Lord, we love you, and we pray that all this is for your glory and not ours. Amen.
He is the Lord, Lord of all. 
Point. My name is uh, Dave. I'm one of the pastors here, and whether you're with us in person or uh, joining us online, we're thankful that you're with us. Um, I want to share with you just a couple family news things, and then something about Sun Chasers, and then we'll uh, talk about the missions team, hype missions team here in a minute. Uh, some family news. Be praying for uh, Scott Ziegenhorn's father, who is uh, battling cancer and uh, not doing well with that battle. And then also be praying for uh, Bo Reuter, uh, Brooklyn and Bo, twin uh, babies born almost a year ago, later this month. And uh, Bo has been back in the hospital this past couple days, uh, and the doctors determined that he has pneumonia in his left lung. And they're assuming it's viral, uh, but they're giving him antibiotics um, in case it might be bacterial. So uh, he will be in the hospital until that uh, is healed and taken care of. So continue to pray for them, pray for Bo, pray for their family, uh, for endurance and for healing. And uh, let me pray for that right now, and uh, we'll just uh, keep going. Father God, uh, we come to you again corporately as a church family to pray for Bo. I pray that you would bring healing. Uh, I pray that you would bring um, uh, strength to his heart and to his lungs, God. Uh, we know that you are the great physician, that, you have, that he is fearfully and wonderfully made in you, and you have knit him together the way that you saw fit. And I pray that you would uh, do what only you can do. I pray that you would give endurance and peace and strength to the family, to their, uh, to Logan and Kara's marriage, to the extended family as they serve, and that you would give wisdom to doctors and nurses to determine uh, what the issues are and how to resolve them, and uh, we trust you. Our faith is in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Sun Chasers, summer is upon us, and back in Sun Chasers, we're going to be trying some new things with summer upon us. First of all, in July, we're going to be doing family services. July 5th will be a celebration service following VBS, and uh, we'll just have a cry room available. All the kids will be in here. And then the following three Sundays, the 12th, the 19th, and 26th, uh, we'll have a family service. Nursery and toddlers will still be in um, We'll still be active, but the rest of Sun Chasers will be, will be out here. We'll be doing some creative things to try to incorporate the kids into the service. And then August, for the first three Sundays in August, we're going to, our hope is to staff Sun Chasers, uh, have it go full, full bore, but have it staffed with people that don't normally serve back there. And so we need you, Crosspointers, who don't normally serve back there, to sign up. Take an age group, take a day, and serve and invest into the next generation in that way. You can sign up online. You can find that link on our Facebook page. Our website will probably be, probably be on the email again this next week. So 
Our hope is to give our Sun Chaser volunteers that are faithfully serving back there month in and month out a bit of a summer break, if you will, over the summer during July and during some of August. So we need your help when it comes to August. So sign up online and, um, and get involved and invest into the kids in that way. All right, Hype Missions team, if you want to come up on stage, that'd be great. Students and adults. This coming Saturday, the team of students and adults are going to be heading down to Mississippi to serve with uh, Relevant Ministry. And uh, Eric will share a little bit more about what they're going to be doing and how we can be praying for them. So, quick show of hands. How many of you are really good at rest? Okay, a few. Um, I know for me that if I don't actually take time and schedule it in, um, that I'm, I'm going to fill it with other things and I'm not going to take the rest that God wants me to take. Um, th- this trip is uh, it just like Dave was just talking about giving the, the Sun Chasers uh, people a break and things like that. Um, the RM, the relevant ministry staff down there, uh, they have seven weeks straight of missions teams coming that they are doing all the behind-the-scenes work and serving and, and things like that, not to mention the fact that this is their way of life down there. This is what they do. They raise support. Uh, they serve along the coast as uh, what many would say full-time missionaries, even though if you're a believer in Christ, you are a full-time missionary, right? I think about Paul's um, missionary journeys, and yes, he went and, and he proclaimed the gospel, and we'll have opportunities to do that while we're down there. But I also think about um, maybe something that gets overlooked sometimes is that as he goes on these journeys, he often visits churches that he's established for the sake of encouragement, right? And so that is what we're going to do um, down there this next week, uh, a week from, from today uh, for that week. We're going to go down and be an encouragement to this team and, uh, and to really give them a break in the middle of their crazy summer um, so that they don't grow weary in doing good, but that as we have chance, as we have an opportunity to do good, especially to uh, fellow believers, like it says in Galatians 6, that we can do that for them. And so we want to be an encouragement to them. We're going to do a lot of the things that they would normally do for other teams coming. We're going to do work uh, projects at the campsite to help improve that and a few things at each of the staff members' houses just to serve them in that way. And so we're looking forward to it. We're really excited. I'm excited. Are you guys excited? We're all going to be on a bus together for like 14 or 15 hours. Um, so you should start praying for that now if you haven't already. And, um, and, but I'm looking forward to that. So uh, thank you guys for, for serving us and for supporting us through your financial gifts and through your prayer. We need it, and, uh, and we're excited because uh, it's just kind of like a ripple effect. We're encouraged by the giving. We're encouraged by the prayer, and that, that in, helps us to go be an encouragement to them, and then they'll be an encouragement to the next people that come. And so uh, what you're doing has an impact on this trip, even if you aren't physically there with us. So that's what okay. I got. So um, family and friends, if you guys want to come up, if the team kind of wants to slide toward the middle a little bit, um, <clears throat> and then family and friends and uh, Micah Williamson and Craig Swanson are going to come up and pray for this team. If uh, you want to come surround your, if you've got your kids up here or you've got friends up here, come pray with us and let's uh, commission this team that's going to be sent out early, bright and shiny this coming Saturday morning. Very good. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
Lord, we thank you, and we love you. Lord, we give you, which is already yours to take. Lord, we give you this team that's going down. Be with them as they travel down. Help their attitudes to be positive. Help the, uh, the preparations for the bus and everything that's going on behind the scenes this next week just to be able to be in your hands. Be with the, uh, the planning stages and the packing and, and everything that happens, Lord, on this next week as they prepare to be given to you as an offering as well as the, the week, the following week when they're down there. God, we thank you so much for the willingness of the families that are giving up their week to go down. Lord, we thank you for the, the children and the parents that are able to, to be down there to be blessed by our, our team. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that Crosspoint has to partner with relevant ministries in, on the Gulf Coast. Lord, we, we love you so much, and we thank you for this, this chance that we have to be able to be here and to give our time and our money and our families to you in this work. Father, we do thank you for each of these people that's going on this trip, Lord. There's evidence already that you're working in their hearts, Lord, and we just thank you for... Uh, their willingness and their sacrifice of taking time out of their schedules to uh, to go and serve you and to serve others. We thank you, Father, that your word has tells us that you have already prepared the good works beforehand that they should walk in them, Lord. And so we just ask that uh, they would bear much fruit in this, Lord, that they would walk in your spirit, that as a team, as they, as they uh, travel together and and minister with one another, Lord, that in the midst of that you would be ministering to them, that you would be speaking to their hearts, that you would be um, drawing them close to you, and, and that you would be teaching them as they serve others. And we just thank you for all that you're going to do in this time and give you the praises in Jesus' name. Amen. So be praying for them over the next couple weeks as they prepare and then as they serve uh, next week, June 20th through the 27th. All right, if you have a Bible, get to Matthew 7. Uh, And uh, that's where we'll be today, verses 21 through 29. Uh, We're in week five of our series called Jesus Said What? Where we're looking at um, phrases, things that Jesus has said that might cause us to pause, might cause us to consider and wonder what he's saying there. Uh, If you've missed a week along the way, make sure to watch or listen online today in Matthew 7. We'll read these words of Jesus in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And we listen to that and go, now wait, what? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter heaven? I I thought if we confess Jesus as Lord, then we were saved and that was that. And Jesus says something very similar in Matthew 25. I mean, there are certain words of Jesus recorded in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that should really cause us to pause, to not gloss over, to not skip over and move on like a young child who wants to skip over their green veggies and get to whatever other part of the plate that they want to go to. Because when we do that, when we consistently avoid something, when it comes to food, we miss vital nutrients that we need. Today's verses are vital nutrients that we need. They should cause us to really take stock of where our hearts are at with Christ. I believe any time myself or someone else is up here preaching and teaching, it's important. But today, quite honestly, it's 
It has uh, a clear eternal importance. Crosspoint was started over 12 years ago. The vision behind the church was and continues to be to reach people who don't know Jesus, to reach the lost. We see in Luke 15 that Jesus has a clear heart for the lost and, and an ongoing pursuit of those who are lost. There are those who don't know Jesus and know that they don't know Jesus. Uh, they're fully aware that they're not following him as Lord and Savior, and they wouldn't imply that in the slightest uh, that they are. I have a friend like that. We have a great friendship. He's not a Christian. I pray that someday he becomes one. I pray that someday he gets baptized up here. But he's no, he knows he's not a Christian. He knows that I want him to become a Christian, and, and thus the relationship, all right? There are others, though, who don't know Jesus but think they do. And yet in God's eyes, they're still lost. They're still without a Savior. This is the group of people who Jesus is dealing with in these verses, the people who have gone to church their entire life. I grew up in church. I was born in church. They, they say things like that. Or, or they've done a laundry list of religious activities who would say, oh, yes, Jesus is Lord, but in fact, they really don't know Jesus. My belief is that this is true of some of us in this room today. Maybe you believe that to follow Jesus simply means trying to be morally good or trying to be morally better than you were the day before, or thinking one way politically even, or avoiding certain social taboos, or attending a church service every so often. And my hope and prayer is that today you'd meet Jesus. You'd meet the Jesus of the Bible. You'd encounter Jesus who is full of grace and truth, who is the Messiah, the Savior of our souls, and then you discover that living life with him and for him is far better than anything else we could find here on this earth. That life with Christ, it leads to joy, delight, peace, rest, let alone salvation. Two weeks ago, we were in uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And next week on Father's Day, we will be as well. This sermon of Jesus is recorded in Matthew 5 through 7. And this section is right at the very end of that entire sermon. And Jesus has hit, the, hit, a, has hit a long list of areas of our lives where, um, of, of how to follow him and how he calls us to live. And so you've got this crowd of people gathered to listen to these words. And so they, they recognize that his words have authority. And so the Pharisees, in this crowd, you've got the Pharisees who are the religious leaders at the time. You've got disciples of Jesus. You've got those who know they're not a follower of Jesus, but are interested in what he has to say, so they're there, they're listening. All right, you've got all these people in the crowd. And before we get to verse 21, we'll back up and look at verse 13. <clears throat> we'll start there because the two subjects that Jesus hits on uh, prior to verse 21 help give us some context into what he's going to talk about in verse 21. So in verses 13 and 14, he says this, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. He's contrasting between the wide and the narrow, between the many and the few. The many are on the wide road that leads away from God and toward eternal separation, and the few are on the narrow road, a road that may not always be so-called easy, but it leads to life. It leads to abundant life here on this earth, let alone abundant and eternal life in heaven. Many and few, and he'll come back to that idea later in chapter 7. Then in verses 15 through 20, Jesus says this, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. 
By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So again, Jesus is, con- is contrasting two different types of people here. He's using imagery and, of, of sheep and wolves, of grapes and thorns, of figs and thistles. Good fruit, bad fruit. Good trees, bad trees. Good teaching, true teaching, and then some teaching that's false. And so you see him drawing this contrast between people who know Jesus and those who do not. Those who know him as Lord and Savior and those who do not. Those who are following on the narrow road, if you will, and those who are on the wide road. So you can imagine the crowd on that hillside that day. They're listening to these words of Christ. Some are going, yep, Jesus, we're tracking with you. You're the Messiah. You're the one true God. You're, we're following you. You've changed us from the inside out which is leading to fruit in our lives, this outward evidence of an internal change in us. You've transformed our, transformed our hearts from sinful and corrupt to now seeking to live for you. You've washed us white as snow. You're our Savior. We love you. We're devoted to you. There's that group of people. And then there's also the group of people in the crowd that are thinking, yep, I'm, I'm on the wide road. I've heard about Jesus. I find him interesting to listen to. I don't find him interesting enough to, to follow him as Lord and Savior. And yet others in the crowd fall into another group. They're the ones saying, yes, Jesus, you're Lord. We're, we're doing a lot of things for you. We're, we're living our lives for you. We're doing a lot of things. We're doing a lot of outward activity that we believe reveals that, that you're Lord of our hearts. But then Jesus gives a very unexpected response and words starting in verse 21. He hasn't changed the subject. He's still talking about the many and the few and the wide and the narrow, the true and the false, the hearts that are good and bad. Just like there can be true and false teachers, there can be true and false disciples, some who truly know Jesus and then others who say they do but don't. And so he hasn't changed his subject, but he's going to be bringing it to a much more personal level. He's going to bring it home, if you will, and I pray to our own hearts we're, we're going to be encouraged and confronted with these words this morning, starting in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You can imagine how some in the crowd might have been thinking in that moment. Like, wait, what? Not, not everyone who says to you, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven? only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven? Jesus is describing two types of people here who come to him on the day of judgment. He will judge the living and the dead. Jesus will both save and condemn on that day. Jesus not only has the power to forgive and save, reconcile our relationship to, to, to God the Father, as well as reconcile, restore our relationships to one another, but because he has that power means he also has the same power to judge those who reject him. He's God, so only with God does that power lie. Malachi 3 speaks about this day, verses 17 and 18. It says, On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. 
And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not, the wicked and the righteous, the wide and the narrow, the false and the true, those who serve and worship themselves and those who serve and worship God. And on that day of judgment, everyone will want to be in the kingdom of heaven, but only some will enter the kingdom of heaven. Here Jesus is addressing the people who are on that hillside doing lots of outward activity for Christ, but in reality don't know him. They were prophesying, they were casting out demons, they were doing mighty works, but the works they were doing were not for God's glory, they were for their own. The Bible describes the righteous acts we do apart from God, the acts that we do in hopes that those acts will save us or make us acceptable to God or pleasing to God, The Bible describes those acts as filthy rags. In other words, they're worthless in light of what Jesus has already done for us. In essence, these people that Jesus is referring to in verses 21 through 23, they've brought their resumes, their religious resumes to Jesus. He said, but Lord, have you seen all that we have done? Have you seen all that we've given, all that we've invested, all that we've spent, the time we've spent, the the knowledge that we've gained, the people that we've healed, the messages that we have preached, the demons that we've cast out? Have you seen this incredible resume of religious activities? And Jesus looks at that resume and equates it to a bag of filthy laundry that needs to be thrown away. It's worthless. It's worthless in an effort to make us acceptable to God or remedy the sin problem that we're all born with. And so you might be asking, okay, so if they don't know Jesus, then how can they do these miraculous works? Well, there's a couple possible explanations for them for that. One is that their acts were done um, by the power of the devil, not of God. In the story of Job, you see that God allowed Satan to have significant power to afflict Job. We also see in the story of the Egyptian magicians with uh, Moses and Exodus and those in that story, you see them be able to, to do a lot of things that impressed a lot of people, but in fact, those, those impressive displays didn't reveal they were from God. In verse 23, Jesus refers to this group as workers of lawlessness, meaning their hearts were still far from God. They might have said, oh, Jesus, you're our Lord, but in reality, when you'd examine their hearts, you'd find their hearts were still living for themselves. Their hearts were lawless, meaning their hearts were still not under the authority of Jesus. They were a law unto themselves. So the power might have come from the devil or the power might have come from God himself. You see that sometimes God empowers even unbelievers to perform great works to accomplish his sovereign purposes. Look at Judas, for example. He did ministry right along Jesus healing, driving out demons, preaching, doing much of what they talked about, this group talks about in Matthew 7, and yet Judas was a traitor. His heart was never submitted to the authority of Jesus as Lord. His heart was still uh, far from God. Judas was a deceiver, plain and simple. God is sovereign over all things and can work through even those who don't worship him. Consider the cross itself. That's probably the biggest example. He worked through leaders and people who did not love God to accomplish God's sovereign purpose of sacrificing his own son. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So what are some things we learn from these words of Jesus? Well, first of all, 
we see that simply saying Jesus is Lord doesn't mean he actually is Lord of our hearts. Lord means master, authority, king. And here we see that these people are simply giving Jesus lip service. They've said, sure, Jesus is Lord of my life, but in reality their hearts, when examined, remained far from him. Is that you? Are you attending a church? Are you going to youth group? Are you going to this Bible study? Maybe you've gotten baptized. Maybe you're serving. You're doing a, a lot of outward religious things that on the surface appear to be godly. But in fact, your heart is still far from the Lord. Heather and I celebrated 19 years of marriage this past week on June 8th. And um, thank you. Um, didn't expect that. Um, on uh, June 8th, 1996, mid-90s, yellow gold. It's awesome. All you cool platinum people and silver people nowadays. Um, but if I would have, on that, on that day, if I would have simply repeated some vows in a ceremony, uh, the pastor said, say this, I say this. And if I would have just repeated some vows, some statements, um, and they were not a reflection of my own heart at the time, then what good is that vow or verbal promise? The words alone don't mean anything unless the words, vows, and promises are a reflection of my heart and my willingness to lay down my life for her and love and cherish and honor and keep her till the day I die. They mean nothing unless I believe them in my heart. But on June 8th, 1996, those words are truly, were truly a reflection of my own heart toward God, toward her. And after 19 years of marriage and after some, some valleys, and after some mountaintops and somewhere in between there as well, uh, the, my commitment to those vows are even greater than they were. I mean, I knew what I was saying at age 19. I was 19. Um, I knew what I was saying to the degree that I could at age 19. Um, I understand them much more to a deeper level after having 19 years of experience of, of, of doing that. And you ask me 19 years from now at 38, is that the math? At, at year 38, it will be to an even greater, greater degree because the vows and th those were not simply words, but they were a reflection of my heart. Um, Romans 10.9 says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What it doesn't say is if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Instead, the Apostle Paul references both a confession with our mouth and an inward attitude, a heart attitude that believes. So have you confessed Jesus as Lord with your mouth? Is that outward confession an echo of what you already believe in your heart? The people that Jesus is referring to here, the ones who come to him, Lord, Lord, I mean, they've been saying these words with their lips, but their hearts were not being ruled by the loving, gracious, always with our best eternal interests in mind, authority, of Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. In these verses, we also learn that works don't save us. The spiritual outward actions are not what leads us to being reconciled with our Creator or resolving the sin, disease, and rebellion that lies in our hearts. Uh, there are no giant heavenly scales where, we, where, all, where all our sin and all our disobedience and all our rebellion and all our, our, the way we've dishonored God is on one side, and then on the other side are our good works. As if we can just do enough good, then we can kind of tip the scales in our favor and we'll be good with God. The people who were condemned and sent away by Jesus, though, they thought such eternal scales existed. 
Did you see, Jesus, all the good stuff we've piled up on this side, how we prophesied and how we did miracles and how we did healings and all these different things? And then will that good stuff somehow kind of distract you enough to not notice our hearts that still remain far from you? That was their hope. This is why Jesus, prior to verse 21, talks about how good trees produce good fruit and bad trees produce bad fruit. Because it'd be silly for us to walk up to an absolutely dead apple tree and expect to get a bushel of apples off of it. But that's exactly what these people believed. Their hearts were still dead spiritually. So no fruit of the Spirit was evident in their life. When asked why they should enter heaven, they, their answer would be because of all that they've done. Instead of simply saying that I have eternal life because I've placed my faith and trust in Christ. I shouldn't receive eternal life because of what I've done. I should receive it because of what he has done, and I've been found in him. My faith and trust is in him. When I repent and believe the good news, when I give my life to Jesus and surrender, he promises to not only give me eternal life, but then he gives me a new heart, a new spirit, a, a new song of praise within my heart. And so then out of that new heart, then over time, my outward actions change. I repent for my old ways. I, I turn around. I walk in a new way. I, change, I have a change of mind. I agree now with how God calls me to live versus how I call myself to live. And as my heart and my mind internally change, as they become more and more like Christ, so then my outward actions, my words, my decisions change. Good fruit is produced because God has transformed my sinful, broken, dead heart. In any good fruit that someone sees in my life, it's not me. It's the Spirit of God living in me. And same is the case with you. Jesus is talking to a group of people who believe it is by works that we are saved, that eternal scales exist. But Ephesians 2 makes it clear that we're saved by grace alone. So what are you resting in? What's the foundation of your faith? Better said, who is the, who is the foundation of your faith? Is it you? Is it uh, what you've done for God or what He has done for you? Is it that one time you prayed that prayer, you walked forward, you repeated some words, but then nothing really changed in your heart and life? You repeated what they told you to say, but th those, b those words weren't, weren't a reflection of your heart, of, of, a of a heart that had been changed. Where Jesus goes next is to remind us that our faith while it begins inward in our hearts, it goes outward to how we choose to live and obey God's Word. Living life on the narrow road looks different than living life on the broad road. Verse 24. Uh, 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house in the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, uh, the, crowd were the crowds were astonished as teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. This is how Jesus closes down the Sermon on the Mount. He's saying, if you really claim to know me as Lord, then you'll obey my words. You'll reorder your life around my word and you'll seek to love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And again, 
just like he's drawn contrast thus far in this chapter he, uh, between two opposing thoughts, he does it here as well, between a foundation built on rock and a foundation built on sand. During the summer months, the, the sand around the Sea of Galilee would dry out, and it would give the impression that the sand was strong enough to build on. The wise builder, though, wouldn't fall for that temptation. They wouldn't settle to, to build on the sand that they knew later in the year. It would shift and change when the storms came. The foundation of a building is what is unseen. We built an addition on our house 12 years ago. You can't see the footings anymore. If you saw the footings right now, it would be a bad thing. All right, The footings are down deep, and, and you'd see the outward evidence of, of those if they were bad because the back of the house would be crumbling, ripping away from the rest of the house. And we see here at the end of chapter 7, Jesus comparing our obedience to God's Word or doing the will of our Father in heaven as that of building a house on rock, on a foundation that doesn't crumble when storms of suffering, sin, loss, trial occur. One evidence that someone truly knows Jesus, that they've confessed Him as Lord, and that's a reflection of their own heart, and they believe that in their own heart, one evidence of that is whether or not they actually do what Jesus says. Whether or not they seek to obey His word. James 1.22 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. To build your life on the rock of Jesus is to listen to the word and do what it says. It's to listen to the words of God and put them into practice to not just be hearers but doers. So is there an area of your life right now where you're listening to the word but you're not doing what it says? where you're kind of like, la, 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 and just acting like you can't hear it, but you know full well what it says. And la, 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 I don't, I don't, I don't. You're just like that, toward the Word of God, toward the words of Christ. Now, if we're honest, none of us are batting a thousand on obeying God's commands. I'll be the first one to say, I'm not batting a thousand. If we were, we wouldn't need a Savior, right? We'd be sinless. We'd be spotless, blameless, who needs a Savior when I bat a thousand every single day? The Bible's asking, are we making progress in our obedience? What's the direction of your heart right now? Is your direction of your heart toward, toward things of righteousness or toward the things of sin, toward the things of God or toward the things of yourself? Are, are we flippant or indifferent in areas where we sin or are we broken and repentant? Is it, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I didn't do that. Or is it, meh, it's a big deal. What's the direction of our heart? Are we only saying Jesus is Lord with our lips but don't really believe it in our hearts? Or are we saying Jesus is Lord with our lips because that's a reflection of our heart? As we look at the words of Jesus here, uh, we're probably reacting in a few different ways. Some of us are saved. We're encouraged to keep growing our faith, to keep following Christ, to keep building our life on the foundation of God. That we're, We know that we're saved by grace alone, not by works. Others of us read these words and we're, we're now doubting if we really are saved. We're wondering if Jesus is truly Lord of our hearts. Sometimes that doubt that we experience is the grace of God, exposing that we really don't know Jesus as Lord and that our hearts are not surrendered to him. And if that's you, ask Him to save you today. Commit your life to Him in, in prayer. He loves you far more than you can imagine and longs for you to come to know Him personally as Lord and Savior. Others of us read these words and we're wondering if we've done enough 
obeyed enough, accomplished enough in order to be saved. Remember, one big truth from this passage is that we're saved by grace, not by works. We're not saved based upon our level of of obedience. Rather, we are set apart. We set apart Christ as Lord of our hearts as we continually come under His loving and gracious authority internally. We find that that surrender leads to change outwardly. A great book of the Bible to read and spend time on is 1 John when it comes to this area of salvation and do I really know God. Uh, we preached through it last fall, and you can go listen to some of the podcasts, but, but John gives the purpose of writing that letter of 1 John 5, or of 1 John, he gives it in uh, chapter 5, verse, verse uh, 13. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Jesus' heart is the same here in Matthew 7. He wants us to know, believe in, and follow him because only in him is found eternal life. This is my heart as a pastor. This is our heart as a church, that you'd know Jesus because when, there's no, nothing compares to knowing him, that you'd know that what, it's to be, what it's like to be found in him, to, to find eternal life in him, to, to find abundant life here on this earth, that you'd know that He is the way and the truth and the life, that you'd know the amazing grace of God that we see evidenced through the person, the work, the death, the life, uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, as we close here, uh, I want to give just a couple minutes for you to pray quietly at your seat, to not be led in prayer by me, but simply just have a quiet moment between you and Christ in prayer, and then I'll close here in a couple minutes. Psalm 33, 18 through 22 says this, But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear Him, on those whose hope is in His unfailing love. To deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine, we wait and hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In Him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in His holy name. May Your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in You. Father, we put our hope in You. Our hope is not in ourselves, but it's in you and you alone. 
I pray that you would be the foundation of our lives, that we would be building our lives upon you, that we would be trusting in you, and that we would know you as, as, as Savior, as Lord. I thank you for the incredible grace that you have shown to us through the life and the death and the resurrection of your Son. I thank you for what an incredible joy it is to be found in him. I pray that for those listening, I pray that we'd be found in you. I pray that we would know you. And where we're thinking that we do, I pray that you would be at work drawing us to you. I pray that we would know you better this week. That you be glorified in and through our way of life. That as you change our hearts and our minds, that you'd be changing how we live and how we honor you and how we point others to you with our words and our way of life. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. And I thank you for your word that it's alive and active. And I pray that it would penetrate and it would do what it's called to do, that it would return. It would never return void, but it would do what it's called to do. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. VBS is coming up in two weeks. Back at the back at uh, VBS Central. There are donations that we still need. Uh, we also need a donation of your time that week. We need, we need you to invest as a crew leader. Uh, I said last week I'm going to be an elementary age crew leader. I'm asking you to join me, whether it's preschool or elementary age, to invest into the kids. If you can't be there five days a week, you can be there four days. Great. Uh, still sign up. Well, we need, as a church, to come together to invest into the next generation, to, to reach those who walk in our doors, as well as to uh, love and invest into the kids who sign up that week to be in VBS. So get back there as far as donations and volunteering, and uh, invite somebody to join, it, join you and serve alongside them. All right? Have a great week. See you next week.